It's been an interesting conversation through this last hour. Who deserves access and accreditation at the Alberta legislature? Who should be behind those closed doors at lockups, along with the other traditional media members, the newspaper reporters and columnists, the TV correspondents, the radio reporters? Should bloggers be allowed in? Should the rebel reporters be allowed in? Brent in the Grove says, I really don't see the difference on the coverage from the Rebel and the CBC. They both have their political leanings and they broadcast accordingly. Listener to Boyle says, Rebel Media was never even on my horizon. Definitely will be paying attention to them now. Thanks, NDP. Tristan Hopper here in studio, the Edmonton-based correspondent for the National Post. I want to keep going and and reading these, but, but you can be like the... Ed, oh, McMahon, of course, Ed yes. McMahon I'm, to my I'm Johnny Carson. wildly impressed at your okay. listeners. Well, you know. Ted says the government is not a private entity. Anyone and everyone representing the public, regardless of their viewpoint, should be allowed access. Sean says Dave Cornwallier didn't want to support Rebel Media's right to accreditation in case it limits his future accreditation. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. So, well, let, let me start by saying my own opinion on this before we get into it. I'm sympathetic, and I'm not saying this applies in this case. I'm sympathetic to, uh, I mean, as a as an actual real-life journalist, there's been a, a huge explosion of sort of, and again, I'm not saying this applies in this case, but uh, maybe it does. But there's been a huge explosion of, the, like, activist journalists. So if you're, like, a public figure or a government or something, you are constantly getting called by people who are like, hey, I'm a journalist. I'm calling from, like, holy crap, UFOs.net. And, uh, you know, I, I've got all these questions. But it's more like activism than journalism. So I think the, the waters have been muddied. So I can sort of sympathize with that. But in this particular issue, uh, I mean, the optics are so bad. Um, the I, optics sure. are horrible. Yeah. And the fact that, uh, I mean, they they are well-behaved. I mean, obviously, if you let in the rebel to a lockup, it's they're not going to have anything good to say. Probably nothing good to say about the NDP. I think uh, that's pretty well understood. But what's the difference? It's not like they're going to go in. They, I mean, there's rules. They can't go in and just, like, raise banners around and, like, fire off confetti and, like, uh, and, like you know, throw statues of Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, at, uh, at, the, at the premier. You can't do any of that. So it's just going to be a quiet person sitting in the corner uh, writing a, a story critical of uh, the NDP. So I, I'm not sure why that wouldn't be allowed. And whether or not the rebel or other media outlets are objective is not the point. They would never claim to be objective they have a, they, they 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 pick a Except fight for with the, the national NDP. post that is completely 100 percent fair and balanced yes i'll give you a couple opportunities to plug your paper through okay. this uh, conversation that we have but the point of uh, objectivity really has no relevance here i mean other columnists are not objective certainly not all the time and and i mean you know you want to talk about muddied waters it's not just traditional or mainstream media versus new media or digital media or blah whatever you want to call them what do you do with with a publication like vice i mean vice that that'll drop f bombs in its lead lines it's different reporting numbers are there they've got an audience you know, Justin Lang reports, you know, from Parliament. They've mm-hmm. got, you know, I mean, Mac Lamour and other contributing writers right here. And I mean, Vice is not the Edmonton Journal or the National Post, but they're not denied accreditation. 
No, no. So it, it does have it has more of an audience and more of a track record than you know. But this is all relatively speaking. I mean, nobody knew about Vice in Canada eighteen months ago or two years ago. Right? Yeah. So if you're not dealing with a, a scarcity, I mean, a most it seems to me if you're in government, you would sort of embrace opposing viewpoints. So if someone says, "Hey, I'm from you know screw the NDP dot org," uh, can I sit in on the lockup? Like, well, sure, welcome. I, I understand you probably don't agree with us. So I mean, that's what happens when I've written stories that are critical of like uh, labor organizations. I've written a story that quite obviously is going to make the labor organization look bad, and they'll call me right back and say, hey, thanks for calling, and, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well, because it serves them well to, to participate in conversation as opposed to just say, we're not talking to you, or, or, or even worse, you can't have access. I mean, for an elected official to say you can't have access here, the hang-up for me, the question is, how do you... How, like? How, where do you draw the line? Who's invited to the party? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if, you know, some some guy right now goes, okay, well, I'm going to start up a blog, and he, like, it's it's a blog on Facebook, and you, you you know you can check it out. And now I want a sit down with the premier for a year ender. I want 25 minutes, just like they gave Global News. That's when you have a question. I mean, on Twitter, so many people are passing things along. A, a screen grab of Sheila Gunn Reid wearing a, a, an anti NDP T shirt or plugging her nose at a, at a news conference. Yeah, she she makes no bones about the fact that she, she she's got an axe to grind against the government. The fact of the matter is, though, through the Department of Justice, the government is telling them they're not journalists, and that's why they can't have access to lockups. I wonder if they're worried this would be like this would unleash some tide. So they're like, "Well, if Sheila Gunn reads aloud, then you know, rather than holding my sign here saying, you know, uh, the, the government's hiding things about chemtrails, I'll just say I'm a journalist, and then I'm inside man, and I can do whatever I want in there." So, uh, like again, back to my first point, I'm sort of hesitant. I've been interviewed by people who are like, "I represent some like." obscure website I've never heard of. I just want to talk to you as a member of the National Post. And then the first question is like, why are you all, why are you all racist at the Post? And I was like, no, no, we're not racist. And then I was like, well, who, who are you? You're not a journalist. So I can sort of see where they're coming from from that side. But uh, again, there's no scarcity. It's not like there's any lack of seats in the legislature. Um, they're, I mean, they'll write crazy things that uh, don't make the government look good, but I don't have them there. They can uh, add some color. I'm, I'm sure they're not the most insane journalists who sit in the Edmonton legislature. Hmm. Uh, someone here says, I love listening to dinosaur establishment media. Dinosaur Was establishment me? media. I don't know if it's you or me. Oh, dear. Try to discredit alternate independent media. LOL. No, uh, yeah, I should. Uh, yeah, please do not read the internet. It's all lies. Uh, I, uh, you all, uh, the only true news is, uh, is in paper form, potentially from the National Post. <laughs> I, to me, it's like it's kind of the opposite, actually. We're spending more than an hour of our talk time here essentially discussing access discussing accreditation discussing the changing landscape i mean i'm not it's not really my style i don't it's to sweat other media outlets people know what's out there you know i i, I prefer you tune into us than anywhere else for sure but that's not to say that we have to pretend that there aren't alternate opinions or alternate sources of news delivery out there we're not going to pretend about that i mean on twitter other people are saying you know this is Stuart. not true no one's freedom of speech has been infringed on in any way she still gets to say what she wants sure just being denied access. Brian. But, but like, uh, well, the National Post being a good example. I mean, we were founded, uh, I think our views have changed over time, but you could argue that our, we were very much founded, and Conrad Black has said this, he founded the National Post because he was tired of all the liberals uh, in Ottawa. So he founded the National Post to be like a counterpoint to the Globe and Mail, and, you know, it was going to be an, sort of an anti Chen paper. We weren't denied access to anything. They're like, oh, welcome, new paper. You can you can show up. We, we understand you're probably not going to like our new budget, but, uh, you know, thanks for coming. 
and then uh, so no access was denied and everybody looked better. If they had denied us, then it's a big news story and then we get to get all... uh, That's what Danny gets at on Twitter. She says, I question the strategy of the government's communications here. The way this has been handled is a bit of a disaster. It was a senseless fight. If they had just allowed them in, they would have reported and then moved on. Now they are the story. I mean, it's it, this is a this is a is a jackpot for rebel media. Oh I mean, yeah, because th- it makes it a best, news story. Like we don't don't anybody feel sorry for them. I mean, this is best case scenario for Sheila Gunn Reed. Oh, if you're if you're reporting a story and you call up a minister and say, oh, I, I have a, this report that uh, you have a puppy mill uh, in your office at the legislature, and they say, well, no comment. Well, that's that's exactly the perfect response <laughs> yeah. because they would say, I don't have a puppy mill, obviously. Of course right. I don't have a puppy yeah. mill, yeah. Uh, Tristan Hopper joining us here in studio. When we come back, we're going to get into his uh, piece. It, it tackles a tough topic in the National Post, but it's also hilarious as per... Tristan's style. The headline reads, The Land of Responsible Gun Nuts. How Rifle-Loving Canada Avoids U.S. Levels of Gun Violence. The details from Tristan Hopper next. Tristan Hopper, the Edmonton-based correspondent for the National Post. I said the Edmonton correspondent. You said Edmonton. Edmonton based, because I as people <laughs> You write about I much rarely more write about Edmonton. Just why is that? Uh, well, uh, you may have noticed that most reporters and most print reporters already work for Post Media. So anything that's sort of happening, low, I have to find anything that the Edmonton Sun and the Edmonton Journal haven't already picked up on. Hmm. Uh, yeah. A little bit later on, how, how freely will you speak? I should just blindside you with it as opposed to giving you 10 yeah, minutes yeah, you to should, think about yeah. it. But I'd be curious to know what your new landscape looks like with the amalgamation of all the papers and the shuffling and, and all that kind uh, of the thing. The echo has gotten, uh, it's now a three-second echo when I just say I might like echo. It comes yeah. back three seconds later. Uh, listener here says, I used to enjoy your show, Ryan, but that has changed. It, it now is very biased. You are now following the Dave Rutherford style, and people will not tolerate your non-common you're, sense You're rhetoric. drunk with power, I guess. I am. Um, hey, I really enjoyed your piece in the National Post. The headline, uh, again, the land of responsible gun nuts, how rifle-loving Canada avoids U.S. levels of gun violence. It even comes complete with a video uh, from which we've pulled this clip. Oh, yeah. America, lots of guns, lots of people being shot with guns. And Canada, fewer overall gun deaths than France. And I bet you thought it was because we barely have any guns here. Hell no! Canadians love guns! We've got 10 million of them. They're in as many as one-fifth of Canadian households. And getting one is actually not as restrictive as most people would think. Tristan Hopper, are you a gun guy? Uh, yes. I went, well, when I lived in Vancouver, I thought, hey, I've got some extra time, and I certainly don't have any real estate to speak of, so I'll just go uh, kill some animals for food. Uh, so I did uh, started getting a gun license, and uh, this is when it started. I was actually surprised. I'd always thought not being a gun owner and being like many people, uh, you've got the greatest generation. They all own guns. They're all veterans. And then, uh, you know, their baby boomer kids don't hunt or anything, and then I was trying to get back into it. So it was while I was uh, getting my pal that I was like, oh, these it's actually more liberal than I thought. I thought you could have, like, no guns ever, but uh, I, I, I was surprised at how liberal it was. Your pal is like a firearms license, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's Oh, you actually have it in your pocket here. Yeah, so like it's a like maniac. A... Some, sometimes I actually have, I don't have my driver's license, so like a total redneck. I'm like, oh, is this, can I get into the Can I use my gun license? <laughs> yeah. So what did you have to do to get that pal? 
uh, well, I, you used to be able, I think this has changed, you used to be able to just study and challenge the exam, but I had to take a, a weekend course, it was two days, um, I forget, Silver Core Firearms Training, I believe was the, uh, the firm I used in, in Vancouver, but you show up. And uh, they just kind of teach you about firearms history and how not to make your gun explode by putting the wrong ammunition in it. And then they have, uh, this is the funnest part, they have a bunch of deactivated firearms without their firing pins. And you have to unload and uh, reload all of them. So you have this, like, big pile of guns to play with. And just like in the movies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, you, your lead reads, after the U.S., Canada is one of the largest owners of private guns in the developed world. About 31 guns for every 100 people, putting Canada in 12th place worldwide and only three guns short of the rate of firearm ownership in war-torn Iraq. Yeah, if you look at the uh, list, the U.S. is obviously number one. But then when you look, we're at about 13th place. But if you sort of look at it a different way, there's a bunch of, there's like Yemen and Switzerland, sort of anomalies where either like you just need a gun because it's a crazy terrorist-filled way. The Switzerland story is an interesting side story. Yeah, the Switzerland where everybody has to own a gun because if you invade Switzerland, everybody just turns into a soldier. Yeah, Yeah. so... Uh, and then, then if you so you, you take out the anomalies, it's kind of us tied with everyone else. So we're really like second or third place once you take out the weird third world anomalies. And it's no surprise. Anytime we talk gun ownership on this show, we're going to get messages from from landowners, from ranchers, and mm-hmm. farmers. Oh, yeah. And I mean, for obvious reasons, hunters, you know, sports persons. Uh, you notice I didn't say sportsmen. That was a good catch, wasn't it? Mm, so yeah, sports because women and people might be surprised as well at the rate of female gun ownership in Canada. It's also kind of an interesting. But the thing is, you story. don't know. Because, well, when I've used my, my PAL license to get into bars like a maniac, uh, you know, every three times someone will be like, oh, yeah, uh, like they'll give me a knowing nod or something. So it's a, yeah, there's, there are many more gun owners, which sort of gets into the reason I did the video. Canada's filled with gun owners, but they're just kind of quiet and responsible. So why are we, as you write, disproportionately skilled at keeping our guns from killing people? Um, I, I mean, there's no way to tell. So I was looking at sort of the stats between the U.S. and Canada. So as I point out in the video, there's a, there's a few main differences. It's it's really tricky to own a pistol. That's what uh, that's that, that that that's the hard one. If you own a pistol, uh, you have to be affiliated with a gun club. You have to uh, you know you can only transport it in your car if you're going to and from the gun club or a firearm show. So that's that's a huge pain. So uh, it's not like we can just have a pistol loaded in our uh, in our glove compartment. But I think the biggest takeaway from it is. Um, Six, if you, they've done polls as to why you own a gun. And if you ask the United States, 60% of them will, will say, I own a gun to protect myself. It's a magic wand. If someone breaks into my home, I'll just make them go away. In Canada, it's 5%. So nobody, almost nobody owns a gun here for personal protection. They're things for, for sporting or for killing animals. So the, there's very few people in Canada uh, who think it's even rational that a gun will protect you if someone breaks into your home. Yeah, and you... you you hear that conversation from time to time when you speak to Americans, and I'm obviously generalizing. I mean, a nation of 300 million people based on conversations I've personally had with like 10 of them. Uh, but there is that idea that I have a constitutional right mm-hmm. to carry. Uh, and, and in some states, like open carry, concealed carry. I mean, like down in Arizona, there are some, there are some interesting scenarios. People in, in grocery stores, you know, with handguns on their, you know, holstered. Right. Uh, you don't hear the same types of conversations again, generally speaking, in Canada, where people talk about if you're on my property, I have the right 
to defend my property and to use whatever force I deem necessary. You don't seem to hear that as much up here. Yeah, which I, I sympathize. I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to do that if you live in a remote area and you, you have a clear sign that something bad is happening. By all means, load your shotgun and prepare for it. But uh, just this idea that someone breaks in in the middle of the night and you wake up and you're already three beers in and then you just have a loaded shotgun next to your bed. I think there's very few Canadians. I've known people who they own several dozen firearms. They're very enthusiastic shooters and hunters. And just the idea that you would sort of use a gun to protect your home is crazy. They're like, that's what the bat is for. Listener here says uh, the biggest reason it's a population of 300 million versus 33 million. But you can't say that. You've extrapolated percentages. Yeah, per capita. Americans, per capita wise, you you show are about seven times more likely to to die a gun death than Canadians. uh, Yeah. So we have fewer guns. So I think we have we have about one third the level of guns. So we have 30 guns for every 100 people. They have 112 guns. So it's, it's a bit higher. But our gun homicide rate is yeah one sixth. Of, uh, of the states. And we even have less people shooting themselves. Uh, so the overall gun death rate, which the suicide rate is always higher than the homicide rate, both in Canada and the United States. Ours is one-seventh of the U.S. So, yeah, even controlling for fewer guns, uh, there's far less people shooting themselves or shooting other people. Hmm. Uh, Drew's view this morning, he says, please tell me what is irrational about defending yourself with a gun when somebody breaks into your house. No, no, no. I, I said uh, it's it's fine, but just uh, the fact that it's sort of a, a magic wand. I mean, if you you wake up, there's some someone in the front of the home. Uh, I, I mean, how are you going to? A lot of so what you'd get in the states is someone will uh, live in a bad neighborhood, so they'll go out and get a, like a pink pistol, never shoot it. And then think, oh, if someone breaks in, I'll just like use this magic thing that I've never used before uh, to protect uh, my home. So yeah, if if someone is a, a and this has happened in Canada, someone is like a target shooter, knows how their firearm works, and then if a terrorist runs into Parliament, yeah, you can do a flying spin kick and and, and shoot them. But so there is that respect for what a firearm can do. Uh, I think it would be much likely in the United States that you would just sort of buy the gun not think about the consequences of, or, or, or sort of the process by which you would use it. I mean, you need quite a lot of training to take out an intruder in the middle of the night after having just woken up. Uh, Cam wonders if you've extrapolated uh, Chicago and Detroit out of these numbers. There, there are large urban centers in the United States that I, I suppose would likely obviously have their own interesting standalone gun data. But you can't just limit gun violence and gun deaths to major U.S. Metropolitan, metropolitan centers. Well, I think yeah, he's, he's trying to make the point, I guess, they're close to the uh, Canadian border. And yeah, you, you do get uh, like border communities close to Detroit. They'll actually have regularly bodies washing up on the, on the Canadian shore. So uh, yeah, I, I, I have no doubt Detroit is obviously more dangerous than... Uh... I'm curious to hear from gun owners. I'd like to carry this conversation forward. The state of gun ownership in Canada, where's your head at? Where, where's your mindset at? Why would you believe that Canada's rates of gun deaths and gun violence are significantly lower than the United States? We'll carry on into this next half hour with our guest in studio, the National Post's Edmonton-based correspondent, Tristan Hopper, after these headlines. Tristan Hopper, our guest in studio, the Edmonton-based correspondent for the National Post. His piece, The Land of Responsible Gun Nuts, How Rifle-Loving Canada Avoids U.S. Levels of Gun Violence. What did 
gun owners have to say about your piece? Did you hear from the, quote, gun nuts? Oh, yeah, they were all civil. And, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, that's uh, that's a badge that many people would use proudly. I, I, I certainly don't use it as a term of disparagement, the word gun nuts. But, uh, yeah, this was a video that was shared both by uh, the anti-gun crowd and, and the pro-gun crowd. They were just saying it's nice to see uh, a reporter who actually understands how gun laws work. And that's true. You see a lot of the Washington Post had a story uh, two days ago where the, uh, the, the main sentence was, Canada bans most types of guns, uh, and I forget what the second part was, but that's not correct at all. You can buy a surprising amount of guns in Canada. I want to open this up for conversation. If you're a gun owner, or even if you're not, and you'd like to participate, phone lines are now open. we got Hopper wearing the headphones, 780-496-0063. It's funny how you almost have to, to note, you say, I don't mean it disparagingly when I say gun nuts. I mean, we could say football nuts, or hockey nuts, or sports nuts, or you know politics nuts. I mean, people would see it almost as like, a, yeah, they're passionate about it. They care about it. But when you discuss gun ownership, there are stigmas that exist, right? Because every, all everybody sees or what most people see are the ones, the people, the fringe making the most noise. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, if some, if, if I don't know, if we had a severe social stigma against like drinking. It's like, well, I have two glasses of wine every night. Oh, so you, you get drunk and just start beating people? Like, no, 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 I, I just have a couple of glasses of wine every night. So, yeah, you got the two sides there. All right. I, I see that our... <laughs> Gina's got her hands full right now. As soon as we opened up the phone lines, the oh, board just sorry. blew up. So so uh, we'll get to our first caller. Uh, hi, uh, caller out of Vegreville. I don't even know your name yet. Who are we talking to? Go Hello? ahead. Hello? You're on the air. Hey, hey, this is John calling you. How are you doing? Hey, John. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. What are your yeah, thoughts on what we're saying? Uh, well, um, the reason, well, kind of, the reason I believe that um, the, uh, gun violence is higher in the States is i I think it's due to population. Um, you know, the the higher the pop, it's just like uh, theft. Like, say, because I live in a real small community here, and everybody knows everybody, so theft is like zero. Uh, and then I think once you get, once there's so many people around, you just block them out, and you don't have a, any emotional attachment to anybody that you're around other than family and friends. So then taking something from somebody uh, means nothing to you. It's you know, you're, you know, it's not uh, uh, like contra, uh, oh, what's the word I'm using? So you're, so you're saying like with with an influx or let's say with a with a uh, a large population, the sense of community is lost and attitudes change. Is that what you're saying? I believe so. I do believe so. And um, like to say that, uh, and then to on the banning on the guns part. Like I'm a hunter. Like I hunt all the time and mm-hmm. stuff, and I have you know a couple of guns at home, but. Um, if I want to get my hands on a weapon, like say a fully automatic weapon, uh, when I used to live in Ontario, you know, I kind of I hung around with the wrong crowd, did things that I'm not, you know, like like in the drugs and stuff. wasn't too proud of that. But uh, with the friends I had there, I could I could get my hands on anything that I wanted to. Like I mean, if you had the money, you could buy it, buy it, no matter what it was. So banning guns. I, I can see how it would, uh, how it, you know, like I, I agree there should be no fully automatic weapons on the streets or anything that we should be allowed to buy, but. Yeah, yeah, I can see. People, well, I, people... I, I, I guess, well, it's your first point about the, uh, I mean, rural areas being 
safer. I don't. Uh, I, I think the data has been broken down. I, I don't have it, but uh, I, I would. I think I've heard that uh, most gun violence is actually in in rural areas. Now, they, and, and again, you have such a wide disparity. So you have sort of a troubled community in northern Manitoba, uh, for instance, the La Lush, which just saw a, a mass shooting. Yeah. Uh, yeah versus like Vegreville. So. Um, I don't know. So your, your argument basically being that uh, since the, there's just more people in the United States, but there's lots of rural areas in the States as well, yeah. which are getting plenty no, of people is, shot there. Yeah. yeah John, no, thanks is. for the call. I, I want to move on because you've got a lot of people on hold, but I appreciate you tuning in. Thanks very much. Uh, John says he doesn't believe that anybody should should have access to ownership of, of like fully automatic, what, what we've come to know in, in, through media reports as assault rifles. What's your take on that, by the way? Uh, well, someone has pointed out uh, on your sort of message board there is they were saying uh, technically you can't own a weapon. Uh, you can't own a firearm weapon in Canada, which is, is true if you're getting your pal. They're like, well, why do you need this? You have to say, well, I'm hunting or I'm a collector or I use it for target practice. If you say, I need a weapon to defend myself, that's, uh, I mean, I, technically that's not a good reason to own a firearm in Canada. So you have to use it. It has to be a piece of sports equipment that maybe if someone breaks in, you'll shoot at them, but uh, it, you can't uh, buy a weapon. A lot of people have talked about the the home defense mm-hmm defense. And we'll get to that in just a second. If you're wondering what this pal is we're talking about, it's the possession and acquisition license. Marion holding the line. Good morning, Marion. Oh, morning. I just wanted... Can you guys hear me okay? You bet. Perfect. I wanted to give my thoughts on the question you had earlier about the differences between gun ownership in America and gun ownership in Canada. Yeah, please do. And uh, Well, just to to go back a little bit, I mean, the inherent difference or the, the, the... largest difference is really embedded in their constitution where they have second amendment rights americans have been brought up uh, ever since the country was created with that right to bear arms uh, where in canada that was never uh, even uh, an issue so in canada it's a privilege in america it's a right to own and defend yourself with things like castle law and the different laws open carry and things of the the uh, the cowboy the the original you know uh, wild west out there that's really where the you know this gun culture comes from and where you know everyone envies oh america they have you know they have open carry they have all these they can get anything they want automatics and which you know uh, it's been ingrained in their culture for such a long time that's why it's such so difficulty for them to change it or get rid of it that's that's true. I mean, there's that's true with a lot of things in Canada where you have something in the states that's an absolute, uh, like separation of church and state, freedom of speech. Um, in Canada, that's uh, that's not really written down and it's never been declared. So well, it's it's, it's gun ownership, yeah. separation of church and state. It's, that's all just things that we kind of like, uh, but it, it's never been written down and had uh, you know Patrick Henry yelling about it 200 years ago. So there's there's much less absolutes. So we're much more nuanced about it. I mean, I read a statistic where they said that uh, there's oh, something like over 700 million guns in America. That's basically two per person, uh, and that's you know that's something that's quite a crazy number. But there's well, why is that? You got to look at the underlying reason, and that's really because it's it's an ingrained cultural phenomenon to them. It's something that you know it's they, some people would be like taking their right hand off. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, you'll hear this. I mean, when I was getting my gun training, uh, my instructor was saying, uh, 
I mean, don't. He was like, rule number one, don't just obnoxiously bother people. As I point out in the video, I mean, technically, you can take uh, you can take a, a, a pump-action shotgun, and uh, if you leave it unloaded and leave the action open, you can walk down Jasper Avenue or something. I mean, that's not that's that's technically legal. You'll probably get stopped by a cop for, like, why are you carrying a shotgun? And then you can say, like, get off my back, pig. It's totally legal. And this happens all the time in the States, but most yeah. gun owners, I think, would say, why would you do that? Why would you just be a jerk like that? And then suddenly you have a bunch of scared people who are like, well, we got to deal with all these gun nuts who are carrying shotguns around. Uh, so, yeah, I think gun owners are more yeah. inclined to be, I, I like this, so why would I ruin it by just being obnoxious? Yep. Nope. Thanks for the call, Mary, and I appreciate you making those points and, and certainly appreciate you tuning in. It's interesting. I, I did a bit of a double take, right? As you said, pump action, 12-gauge shotgun. We received a text with, that was the opening sentence from Electrician who says, I am the owner of a pump action, 12-gauge shotgun. Says, I keep it in my truck, uh, you know, 75% of the time, except when it's super cold. Says, I've been pulled over by officers twice in the last three years, once for speeding, uh, my taillights as well. Mm-hmm. Both times I was abiding by rules requiring a trigger lock and to keep the firearm covered when I left the vehicle. Both times I was told by the officer that I shouldn't carry it around for no good reason, but both times the officers acknowledged they can't stop me from doing so. I keep it on me because I hunt and I target shoot a lot and, and, and also because of personal defense reasons. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that, that's he's indeed correct. You see, so you can't have a gun rack behind you, but as long as it's covered in, you can't. Uh, I see. I don't know the rules about it. You can't have a gun rack no, with, with a be, rifle it, it in it. It can't be on display, and it has to be a long gun. So pistols is a whole different thing. But uh, yeah, as long as the trigger lock's on, and it's uh, so you can constantly have an unloaded firearm in your trunk. As long as nobody can see it. Like, here, here's the question as well, and, and, and I'll leave it rhetorical. And, Chad Nation, if you want to answer this, go ahead. But, I mean, would your conduct, say, in traffic be different if you knew that it was a concealed carry province? If you knew, would you conduct yourself differently? Would you still tailgate people? Would you cut people off? Would you honk? Would you, if you're the person inclined to get out of your car, you see it every once in a while, would you still act like that if we were a province where you knew that there was a good chance that someone might have a loaded handgun in their glove box? I, I wonder because I mean the 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 set it's been said that a well-armed society is a polite society and I say this with absolute respect for our American friends they are not a polite society that's what makes them so great they're always in your face uh, they're actually in your face way more than Canadians are I've found in my experience so uh, I'm not sure if uh, firearms equals politeness we got a long list of callers here let's get to Lyle hi Lyle how's it going good what's your take on this well I I was raised on a dairy farm and uh, owned guns for about 40 years, and it's like a tool. Yeah. Uh, I think city folks don't realize that in, you know, how many centuries our people have been in Canada that guns were used for protection against wild animals and putting sick animals down and hunting and fishing and trapping, and it's a part of my culture and my whole ancestry, and and city folk are, I think, they're just... Uh, don't understand how we live. You think people kind of misperceive what a gun owner's all about, Lyle? Absolutely. I mean, they think because I own a gun, I'm gun. I'm some kind of a Neanderthal knuckle dragger or something like that. Right. Hey, man. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it, Dennis and, and Matthew. We'll find out if if they're thinking along the lines of Lyle as soon as we return. Tristan Hopper, our in studio guest, this half hour on six thirty, Chad. Tristan Hopper, our guest in studio, we're talking guns, and the conversation can go wherever it goes. In the next 10 minutes, a listener here out of Edmonton says, I think the biggest difference in gun ownership is Canadians respect the gun, and Americans think the gun respects them. 
Mm. Interesting. Solid line. Huh. Sounds like a movie post line. Yeah. And respects them. Uh, Someone, and they've sent it in all caps. I don't know if I should yell this to you or not, Tristan, but they say you absolutely do not need a trigger lock installed when transporting a non-restricted firearm. That uh, that may be correct. So, yes, uh, please, uh, if you are carrying a firearm around at all times, uh, that that listener might be correct. Uh, A couple of shouts out here uh, to point you in the direction of further research if you're inclined to. Someone says check out the Twitter account Civil Advantage 1. Another listener says you should certainly check out the website firearmrights.ca for a fact-based educational approach to firearms laws and common sense information well, regarding if, firearms if you're talking ownership about, in Canada. Uh, castle law is interesting in Canada because uh, I've, I've written about this a few times and essentially if uh, someone breaks into your home and you shoot them, um, you probably will be charged for using excessive force, but just order a jury trial and almost no jury will convict you. So I've looked at case after case after case of this. It's technically legal to do whatever you want to anybody that breaks in. Um, you, you just won't go to jail. You'll be charged and whatever. I've been wanting to do an hour of radio for quite some time with a panel of defense lawyers discussing when to choose a judge and when to choose a jury. I think that would yeah, be fascinating. Uh, Dennis and Matthew have both been holding the line. Matthew, you're first up. What's on your mind? Uh, hi, Rob and Tristan. Um, I think it's more of a cultural issue between Canada and the United States. Um, I, I think you'll see in places like, let's say, Montana, where it's like rural, like farmers, ranchers, yep. um, just people living out in the woods and stuff. There's not really a lot of crime. There's tons of guns. There's people walking around with guns. Mm-hmm. And then you go to some place like Chicago, where I think it has some of the uh, strongest gun laws in the United States. And they basically... Um, like have some of the highest crime rates and murder rates or shootings every day. So, hello? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 just I would agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry. I, just, I heard a beep on my phone. So uh, I I, Matthew, I know it's totally unusual to encounter a moment where neither Tristan nor I are talking. We were both just shocked at the depth of the insight there. So Yeah. Okay, yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so what do you guys think about, about that sort of thing? Like the, maybe some oh, of the, yeah, yeah, like a, maybe that's... like a gangster culture in some areas? Like is that a factor? Just, just a culture of like uh, guns being magic, I think, was like, I mean, the, the stat I cited earlier where 60% of Americans like get for self-protection. I mean, you'll hear about uh, Americans saying, well, if I just have like a a Derringer at the bottom of my purse, I can just walk through any neighborhood I want. And that's that's, that's crazy. And I mean, anybody who, most Canadian firearms owners would be like, have you ever shot it? No, not really. I'll just get it. And I'll just like, get away. They they just think they'll Mm. they'll sort of hold it in people's faces and everybody will back down like they're uh, Charles Bronson or something. Thanks for the call, Matthew. I appreciate it. Uh, this is a true story. Uh, a friend of mine that lives in Seattle, NRA member and a, and a, and a passionate gun owner, very mm. responsible gun owner. I've seen it in practice. He, like he doesn't bring people over and let them, you know, hold his pistols, and and he doesn't walk around the house with it loaded. But he's, I mean, when we're out, I mean, I have a picture of us, and I've told this story before at a bowling alley, and he's bowling. He's in like full form bowling, and you can see his ankle holster. He's like got a, a, a firearm, you know, he's wearing a handgun on his ankle, and. There was a moment where he and his wife, this is before they had kids in their condo building, there was flooding. Uh, A pipe had burst, and it was believed that they were out of town. And they had slept through the maintenance person knocking on the door. The maintenance person granted himself access to their apartment to come in and try to turn off the water or, or address this burst pipe. And Paul came out of the room with a loaded handgun at like 3 o'clock in the morning in the dark, and, and both of them scared the crap out of each other. That that could have been, and there are instances mm-hmm. where that is much 
worse than just having your heart stop for a second. On, uh, on road trips, uh, I have a firearms enthusiast friend, and uh, we played a game uh, on a road trip, and we were trying to think, when is a scenario where actually having a gun in the house could protect us against the house? And this actually happened to a colleague of mine, uh, let's say in post media, so we don't uh, identify the individual. They were cleaning their pistols in the living room, and then someone came in through the window. Someone broke through the window of the living room as they were cleaning the pistols. So they were able to just assemble the pistol and show it to the criminal, and the criminal left. That is a very specific scenario in which maybe firearms start up to break in, and that's .001% of uh, actual break-ins. Dennis has been holding the line. We'll give him last word on this when we return from this break. We've been talking guns with Tristan Hopper. Dennis has been patiently holding the line. Dennis, these last 30 seconds are all yours. Ryan, uh, our gun laws are quite liberal. Uh, what the problem is, and you should do a program on this, have uh, executives from different gun ranges on your program because our registered uh, law-abiding gun ranges are under attack by the CFO and uh, there's ranges being shut down on, and there's been restrictions being put on ranges in existence that is making it very difficult for them and, and one continue. such fight with the okay, Spruce Cove uh, Gun Club, you can actually read about it. I wrote about it in National Post, uh, Tristan Hopper, about the shutdown of the Spruce Cove Gun Club. And that one is not necessarily uh, the CFO. It's uh, more sort of an urban encroachment. It's been, a, it's been a problem for some time. You've got uh, these widely expanding suburbs in Calgary and Edmonton. People decide they don't want to live next to a gun club. So okay. down, nobody can shoot. Dennis, thanks for bringing that to our mm-hmm. attention. Tristan, thanks for sitting in. Hey, anytime. Always a total pleasure. You can read Tristan's work at nationalpost.com. Be sure to give him a follow on Twitter. We'll be back at it tomorrow morning. Thanks for being a part of today's conversation.